Hey, everybody. How's it going? Happy Labor Day to you. It's good to be here with friends and family. Hello online. My name is Ben Rosenbush. If we haven't met, serve here as the creative pastor, and I get to preach today. And guess what? We're ending with James. We're finishing up with James. I hope that you have really enjoyed the book of James. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. And a sincere hope for you and me is that we're not just filled up with the information of it or the knowledge of it, but really the wisdom of God. That's what James is all about. The wisdom of God that transforms us to really puts our faith into action. And last week was the healing service. Anybody a part of that? That was amazing. Um, yeah, as saw God move, really cool things. Just, a, just an encouragement to you, too, that as we press into God healing, you and me, let's just pray that that continues in our body, through us, as we put our trust in him. Today's sermon, in a sense, flows out of that. It's a healing message in its own way, not just for the individual, but also for community. This way that we heal together by being brought back into the truth as the body of Christ. That's what James has got for us, and let's unpack it. Here's our scripture for today from James. This is the last two verses of the book. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of of sins. That's how the book of James ends. And I love that this is how James ends. That after all this wisdom of God, he says, if one of you should wander. It's almost like he knows something that we all know, right? That even as we get encountered with the things of this abundant life of Jesus, we still wander. You know, there's that great hymn, Come Thou Fount. Those are the lines. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You remember that? Prone to wander from the God I love. We're all prone to wander for honest. And James, this pastor, this failed or flawed follower of Jesus himself, feels that too, right? And he has this call. If someone would bring back, the NLT translates that call to bring someone back as whoever brings the sinner back from wandering. James is telling us, look, we can't just live and let live. We can't just live and let live like our culture tells us to do so often. We gotta bring each other back to the truth and be brought back to the truth ourselves. And that's gonna take a loving and humble and intentional confrontation a lot of times. And something about us, right, Minnesotans, is we love confrontation. <laughs> we really, really love confrontation. It's something that we're so adept at. <laughs> I, have a, I have a story of being confronted once. I was in, you know, a young guy. We were living at home still, and we had a family dog named Taylor. Taylor, I always like to weave our dogs into my sermons. And he would have this practice of wandering from the backyard. Now, we were all cool about it. We were like, yeah, live your best life, man. You know, wander off, it's cool, come back, come back. And he always did, and we didn't think anything of it, it's fine. On one cold, snowy day in December, I opened the door to go to my coffee shop gig, and there in front of me, I was confronted by this note that said in all caps, we should talk. 
that note was connected to a shovel, and in that shovel was a mound of dog craps piled high. <laughs> I was confronted, right? And it was a Minnesotan confrontation because, you know, I, I actually didn't talk to this person. We should talk. We never actually talked. It was just the shovel was doing the talking. And uh, we got the message loud and clear. Taylor, you can't wander anymore. We got a leash for him. We should have probably, you know, thought the yard is so clean. Man, this, <laughs> this dog cleans up after himself. That's not the truth. So, but we all wander in our own ways big and small, and we have that propensity, and so often nobody confronts us about that, or we don't confront another when they're wandering in a way that leads to a relational, beautiful restoration, which is what James is calling us to do. And in the story of the Bible, we all wander. In fact, this is probably the story of the Bible, is that we wander but that God brings us back. And this is something that we sing about, that we get to celebrate every Sunday when we come in this place, is that Jesus calls us back. Jesus said, I am the son of God, and I seek, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what he says in Luke 19. I've come to seek and save the lost. That's the good news that we get to celebrate. And his strategy for restoration on this earth is for us to participate with him to join him in that, to call others back to the truth. So James reminds us to act out this restoration, and no surprise if you've been here, he calls us to put our faith into action in this way. He calls us that we have to be a part of that, and the stakes are big. Whoever turns someone from the error of their way, he writes, will save them from death, will save them from death. Save, that word in the Greek is sozo, if you've heard that before, and it means save, yes, but it's even deeper than that. It's to heal, to be made whole. If we're turned away from the, our wandering, we're made whole. We are healed, and really our community, this body of Christ, is made whole again through that process. But we have a problem. We have a big problem, and it's the culture that we live in. This culture resists the work of restoration, and this culture shapes us. I mean, we're leaving shovels of mess on doorsteps all over the place, right? Just go on social media, and that's just a bunch of shovels out there, <laughs> right? And this culture, it has this power to shape us in a particular way, and it shapes us to be in love like it and not be in love like Jesus, we have a problem. This culture shapes us into being completely either self-focused or super self-righteous. And another way to say it is apathetic or judgmental. Right? Our culture shapes us in this way and both of those postures are really adverse to any kind of correction, any type of confrontation that might lead to a restoration. This culture, it's like the water we swim in. Right? You've heard that metaphor. And the predominant characterization of it is often, I'm okay, you're okay. Right? You've heard that before? I'm okay, you're okay is a super apathetic response. Just leaving it be. Another one, though, is I'm okay, but you're definitely not okay. Right? <laughs> Have you had that one come at you or come through you? 
That's the judgmental response, right? And both of these come actually as a part of a four-part life positions that a psychiatrist came up with. His name is Tom, Thomas A. Harris, and he came up with these four in the 60s, right? And, and um, it has kind of been not great for us. A third one is, I'm not okay, but you're okay. And you can see that that would be an apathetic response as well. It leaves us in shame. Like, I'm not going to do anything because you're okay, but I got to just focus here. Self-focus. But the fourth, Harris himself was like, don't do this one. I'm not okay. You're not okay. He saw that as the most grievous, the most harmful for us. And even if we just give him a little bit of credibility that, hey, there's probably some stuff in his work that helps us shed not helpful mental tapes that we have, I would argue, and I think James would argue and Jesus would argue that the only one that's really possible for us is the last, the most dire. Tim Keller says it like this, we're all sinners, we're all lost. Nobody's got the right to look down on anybody else, we're all in trouble. We're all alienated from God, no one has the right to be trampling upon or exploiting anybody else. We all need God. I'm not okay. You're not okay. We need to reconcile with that truth that in Christ, we're okay. But without him, we're not okay. We need to come back into alignment with that. If we look in the world, there's pain, violence, famine, disease, all kinds of sin and evil, and it's in us. We're not okay. But when we come together, we remember this, this saving truth, that we have a hope that he is the one who is making all things new. Can I get an amen on that? Right? That's the saving hope that we celebrate, that we live into, that we want to be a part of, and often, friends, need to be called back to. Our only hope, our saving hope, is in the cross of Christ and his empty tomb. And it's important to note, too, that as Harris described those four life positions, if we just have a vision for life, it's merely, it's, its apex is like being okay. I think we've really fallen for a really shallow vision for what life is meant to be. I would rather follow Jesus' vision for life. He said this, I have come that they, you and I, would have life and have it to the full. That's abundant life. That's a vision for life worth living for, right? We gotta be moving beyond this weakened hope of culture that embraces the standard of living as just okay and be brought back into the truth of be whole, be in abundant life that is in Christ. But to be brought back to this truth, we also have to reconcile in our culture that we are often not, having a shared conception of truth, right? We live in this widespread adherence to relative truth, right? And that's in our dominant culture. And it's kind of this concurrent reality of the apathetic response of, I'm okay, you're okay. But to embrace that produces this bad fruit of narcissism. Because every one of us then becomes the epicenter of truth. Everything revolves here. But more than that, or alongside that, it also bears the sour fruit of loneliness. 
because every person then becomes an island. Everyone's disintegrated, disjointed, an individual, disconnected from the saving accountability found within the faithful community, the body of Christ. If one of you should wander from the truth, James writes. So we have this bold Christian claim, and it's the claim of Jesus, and it's a hopeful claim. And he says this, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what is truth? It's more than just a stance on some issue. It is Jesus. <laughs> the truth is that he's the son of God and he's abundant life. That's the truth to be brought back into alignment with. So we believe that he is the truth, that there's a path and he is the way and we are meant to be on that path and to call, be called back to it through this community of Jesus, the community that is seeking to be in love like Jesus. So this way is described for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Read that. It's described for us all through James. Read and reread James. And, but as we, do, as we do so, we also need to have this conception of humility. That yes, we can affirm this is the truth, this is the path, but also know that this, as Christians, we can affirm there's absolute truth, but as humans, we, we can't see the truth absolutely all the time, right? We have to realize that we, we can't stand that, yes, there's absolute truth, and I know everything, but it is. We are growing. We are learning. We are in a humble posture. Yes, the truth is Jesus, and may my life continually be more aligned to who he is. Take the humble posture there. So a spirit of apathy does not bring somebody back to the truth. I'm okay, you're okay, just doesn't work. A spirit of judgment doesn't bring somebody back to the truth. I'm okay, you're definitely not okay. That doesn't work. But there's another way that does bring another to the truth and ourselves to the truth. And it's modeled in this parable that Jesus shared with us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus shows us how it's done. What's the posture of this shepherd in this verse, in this passage? It's one of persistence of compassion and care he goes out after the one that's been separated from the rest and when he's found him the sheep he doesn't harm or chastise the sheep he calls his friends to rejoice he puts them around his shoulders this passage that jesus shares with us is resonant with eugene peterson's translation of the james passage we're into today let's read this 
uh, James passage again in this translation and just hear the heart of the shepherd in here. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back and you will have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Eugene for the win. It's beautiful, right? I love that translation. Go after them. Get them back. This is the heart of the shepherd who goes after the one. Jesus then calls us to join him in this work with neither judgment nor apathy. If we embody judgment, we're just going to go out and scare that sheep further away. If we embody apathy, we're not going to go at all. We need that humble posture, the posture that leads to salvation and healing sozo through the posture of love that's modeled in that shepherd. As a middle schooler, I would go down sometimes to my grandma and grandpa's farm, southern Minnesota. And uh, my cousin was there. He lived on the farm in the area, and he knew way much more than me. I was the city boy. He's the farm boy, you know. And my grandma left us for a couple hours to run some errands. And we were like, we are now men of the house, right? We have really taken it up a notch. And I, uh, we encountered this scenario where she had sheep in the pasture, and the sheep got out into the driveway, red alert, but hey, here we are. We can handle this. Luckily, I had just purchased on a recent family vacation an Indiana Jones whip. <laughs> no animals were harmed in this story. Let me just start there. Nor did I know how to use this whip anyway. But, of course, this is going to solve the problem. So I go out there and I begin to lash it from side to side, making the the noises, whatever a whip does, and trying to get these sheep back in. And it eventually works through much you know, toil, time, my cousin watching. Later, he tells me this. He says, you know, I think there's an easier way. When I've seen it done, I've seen our uncles grab a, a pail of food, a food bucket. You know, and they just go out in the pasture, in the middle of the pasture, and they just, they just shake that food bucket, and those sheep come running. I, I don't think we need your whip anymore. That's where I reflect on what James is telling us and the posture of what Jesus is showing us. I think that has a lesson for me in that. That that food bucket is like knowing the abundant life of Christ. And what is it to draw another back from the truth? Maybe it's just to shake that bucket. right? It's not to stay inside the house and not do anything. It's not to crack the whip there. <laughs> it's to go, go and be a presence. Paul talks about this fragrance of Christ that emulates from our life. What if that's the way that draws others back? So this is speaking the truth in love. This is what it means to be truth-telling and confrontational, but motivated by love. This is the spirit of love that moves through love, that moves others toward love. Let's remind ourselves then with this passage that is so well known to many of us. This is the spirit of that shepherd who goes after the one sheep. This is the kind of character that's going to be emulated by that exchange. And if you would, I want to invite you to read this with me slowly and just let this sink into your heart a bit, okay? Here we go. 
Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is shaking the food bucket when we do this. That is what it means. We're called to have this love in our hearts. If we have apathy, if we're leaving shovels at the door, it's just not going to work. If we have judgment, if we're trying to control things, like the whip, we're just going to make it worse. But if we go out with Christ's abundant life in this spirit of love that Paul so beautifully articulates for us, I believe restoration will begin to happen. And the body of Christ will sozo, heal, come back together. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we're one body and so we belong to each other, right? We're not just unto ourselves. We belong to each other. The foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear, you know what? Go live your life. Go, go you be you. <laughs> Each part serves the other. Don't leave the broken leg broken. It's got to heal. Paul writes this. He says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. Is this how we feel when we know somebody close to us who's wandered from the truth? Is this the, the compassion we embody? If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. That's the vision that we're called to restore. We're a community of Christ. So if we live this, no apathy or judgment, only love will lead us back to this truth, this realization and restoration. In fact, we are our brothers and our sisters' keepers. That's the truth. And if we begin to heal like this, it's gonna show up in this way, husband and wife coming back together. Children and parents, brothers and sisters, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor, enemy and us reconciled. We become healed as we go out in that spirit of love. So the question comes, and it comes to me too, and I'm, I'm humble with this. Are we bringing someone back? Are you bringing someone back? Do you struggle with this? I'm going to answer yes. I struggle with this. Maybe you do too. Do you fight the I'm okay, you're okay mindset that kind of withers and immobilizes your witness? Do you struggle with the I'm okay, you're definitely not okay spirit of judgment that just pushes people further away? Or are you rather embracing the reality that none of us, none of us are okay? We all wander. We all need a savior. We need to be put back to the body, the communal self that is found in the trinity of God, participating there. We are meant to call each other back to the truth that saves, that heals through the spirit of love. 
Maybe even a harder question, though, for us is, are we allowing somebody to bring us back? Right? Are we allowing another voice of a follower of Jesus to bring us when we've wandered from the truth? What if, what if we lived into a sozo-type community? What if we were a being-healed, being-made-whole community together? What if we went after the lost sheep in love? And what if we let somebody come after us when we are that sheep? Instead of all the I'm okay, you're okay variations, what if we adopted this fundamental, life-changing, world-changing truth that through Christ, we are loved? And that love's not gonna keep us the same. It's gonna compel us to be molded into the truth, our, truth ourselves and to bring another back into truth. So who's that friend? Who's that brother or sister that maybe you've had on your mind or heart as I've been talking today? Maybe somebody has crept up there. What does it look like for you to love them toward the truth? What if you just, right now, name them? Just name them in your heart? What if you began every day to pray for them, to seek the good, not what you want for them, per se, but what God wants for them? What if you prayed goodness into their life? What if you, as you thought about them and prayed for them, read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8? Love is patient, love is kind. And what if you let that shape who you are, shape your approach to that person? And what if you then go to them? Just go. Just go to them. Now, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have the thing all put together of what you're going to say. You can just give your attention. You can just be that fragrance of Christ. Simone Weil, she said this. She said, attention is the rarest and the purest form of generosity. Attention is the rarest and the purest form of generosity. What if you went to them in the spirit of that love and just gave attention? You know how powerful that is? You might be the person that brings them back into the life-saving truth of abundant life in Christ. Don't let apathy stop you. I'm speaking to myself. Don't let judgment lead you. Go out in love. Win others to the truth. Go like Christ has sent after us. We come to this table. The one who went after the lost sheep, each one of us. He was not apathetic. He took up the cross. He was not judgmental. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He came, and we celebrate that, that today, that his body and his blood are for us and give us a new vision for life that's not just okay, <laughs> a vision for life that's life to the full. May we be people who are life to the full people, drawing others into that same life, amen? I wanna encourage you to stand up as we prepare to receive these powerful, profound elements. And I want you to open your hands if you're willing to, and let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for who you are this great gift of grace 
the mercy that flows through your blood that was shed for us. God, we receive today this gift that you went after us and brought us back to the truth. May you continue to do so in our lives. And God, may you use us to partner with you in this putting it back together project, this reconciliation, this restoration of your body. God, so that we might bring the one who wanders back and they may find, yes, Jesus, you are the truth, the abundant life. God, lead us, guide us. We give you ourselves. In your name we pray, amen.